This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends. Happy Friday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today we are talking with Tracy Crossley. Tracy is a behavioral relationship expert, author, and podcast host who specializes in treating individuals with unhealthy life and relationship patterns. Tracy is the host of the popular weekly mental health podcast, Freedom from Attachment, Living Fulfilled, Happy, and in Love, as well as the author of Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoidant Attachment Styles, and Building Healthier happier relationships. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. As you know, we start every episode with rose, bud, and thorn. So what are yours today? <laughs> That's kind of an interesting question in this moment. Um, so something great. Well, I would say that I am writing my second book and that the universe is cooperating in ways that are my thorn or <laughs> are my thorn. So um, I'm writing a second <laughs> book and it's called, and you might laugh at this, but uh, yeah, 29 Day Solution to Living Your Best Life. And the subtitle is um, No Matter WTF is Going On. And so I'm living <laughs> in the No Matter WTF is Going On Right Now. <laughs> It's like it's like you're the universe is like actually we're gonna live it while we talk about it while we write about it. Oh, totally, totally. It's just like okay, it's become almost like comic at this point. So, um, but anyways, my rose though I, I'm looking forward to having this book finished, and I feel like my rose is just getting up, breathing, and feeling like I'm moving forward in a sense. I guess that would be it. It's just how I tend to keep my perspective. Mm -hmm. Can I ask what your Enneagram type is? So I have basically been told I'm a seven. Every time I've taken it, Uh I usually get the seven first, the enthusiast, right? And then Mm -hmm. the two sometimes comes next or the eight. It depends. I think the last time I took it, it was the two. And then I forgot the other there was another subtype. It didn't actually come up as an eight as the third, but um, Mm -hmm. the seven was by far every time I do it, it comes up that way. I thought you might be a seven only because of your bio. You just have like so much areas that you're working in and so many different kind of cross pollinated interests, um, which is very seven, but I wouldn't type you because I don't, we don't know each other, but um, I was like, the bio is a very seven bio, which I love. Mm-hmm. I'm also seven. Ah. So what's your 
Okay, so the work that you wrote your last book about, right, is all about attachments. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that? How did you kind of discover that as a concept and then decide that you wanted to put a lot of, like, you know, write a book about it? Well, that's a very wonderful question. Uh, <laughs> I say wonderful because I became a coach back in 2008 and I became a love coach and my love life was anything but about love. And I didn't really know what the deal was. You know, for a long time, I would blame the people that I dated and I didn't really see myself as the common denominator in why my relationships didn't work or the problems of who I attracted and things like that. And so I, of course, am always looking at growing and understanding myself and connecting to myself. And for a long time, I think I was connecting to my, well, I know I was, I was connecting to my head, had a lot of great thoughts and could analyze anything. But when it came to actually being in my feelings, I didn't know. Um, One day I was walking down the street and I was in the middle of a dysfunctional relationship. And at that moment, I'm like, you know what? This is me. I am the problem. And whatever that other person is, they're their own problem. But me, I'm the problem. And I'm not going to keep breaking up with him or running from this. I'm going to see this through to completion, meaning the next time, you know, I'm pissed off or I don't like how he's acting, I'm not going to just leave. And so that was sort of a turning point where I had to really look inside. And I came across attachment theory. And I started applying it to myself because I read this book that really did not do me any favors. It was attached and didn't do me any favors because I was an anxious avoidant. So I was both types they talked about. And they didn't really give like, hey, if you're an anxious avoidant, this is what you can do. Um, It was kind of like you're screwed. And so, you know, (laughs) hopefully you're going to find somebody who's securely attached and fix yourself. But, Mm. you know, I don't believe in fixing yourself anyways. But it's the point of, um, yeah, it was just this whole thing. And I thought, oh, my God, this is this is interesting. So. I got into it. I started using it in my work because it was working for me in terms of what I did to not be insecurely attached anymore. Mm. So, okay. So what are the different attachment styles? Well, the original attachment styles were basically anxious, avoidant, and ambivalent. Like when you're talking the theory that came out in the late sixties and Mm -hmm. early seventies. So, and then anxious avoidant, I don't really, I don't believe that came out then. Um, there's been so many iterations and so many authors of different studies and different theories. And so there's plenty of them, but I always go back to anxious and avoidant in adult relationships or a combination of both because people that are avoidant have anxious um, issues mm-hmm. and people that are anxious are actually avoidant because in both cases, there's no emotional intimacy. They don't have an emotional intimacy with themselves or other people. Hmm. So you're kind of it's kind of like grouping them and saying like they're they're kind of related to one another. Right? Like you might not be just avoidant or just anxious, but a combination of those or you know, just an insecure attachment in general kind of has this, the same root pain. Is that is that what you're saying? It's the same root pain. And it's, I believe that the difference, like if somebody is, let's say, avoidant, more avoidant, and somebody else is more anxious, that 
it has to do with your personality because you can look at siblings and they'll all have different attachment styles uh, based on, I believe, their personalities. There are people, you know, like I was a firstborn child as an example. And so I was like a little adult. And most people that are anxious, avoidant or avoidant were little adults as kids. And so, you know, it's my birth positioning. It was my personality to be very independent. My mother always referred to me as a small adult when I was a kid, which is not a healthy thing, by the way, but <laughs> you don't know any better. And, you know, others like in the the second child or third child, like there can be, again, some that are avoidant and some that step up and have some of the same patterns of behavior that the eldest does. But it's just kind of interesting in working with people. I'm always studying like, okay, what, you know, what birth order are you in or, or things like that? And so, yeah. So when it comes to, so anxious types, can we kind of get like a, all right, like what does an avoidant type look like? What does an anxious type look like? So sure. Like how, if you're, people are listening at home might be like, okay, I have some of this or some of that. You know, people that are anxious are usually people that also choose to victimize themselves in a relationship. So what I'm saying is they are, they can cling um, and they cling. And I'm not, and none of this is a judgment, by the way, because a lot of times we judge ourselves so harshly. And so anything I say, do not beat yourself up with is what I'm saying. Um, but anyways, and so we cling because we have this fear of abandonment and so usually it's with somebody who's a little more avoidant, aloof, you know, somebody who's not emotionally giving to us. And there's a hope, of course, that if we people please them enough or if we do enough things, they're going to love us. But it usually doesn't work that way. They may like the things we do, but they're not going to love us because of the things we do. That's not love. And so people that are anxiously attached have a hard time letting go of relationships, especially when they're over, they're still pining away, they're holding on. Um, and, you know, their whole idea where the victim comes in, it's that you feel helpless and you remain helpless. You don't walk into being empowered. You blame the other person. You feel like it's their fault. You don't see your own, you know, I would say dysfunction in that. Um, but you can feel anxious a lot of the time, especially if you get any kind of an inkling that your partner might want to leave or, you know, you're suspicious that they're cheating on you. I mean, it's all of that kind of thinking goes with it because it all comes back to a lack of self-value. And then avoidant. What is avoidant like? So an avoidant is uh, somebody who can totally avoid relationships. So they go, there's two different ways they go. A lot of times, uh, these are people that won't even date, right? Like you meet people who got divorced and then they never, ever started dating again, or they didn't date seriously, or they dated once and then it didn't work out. And they're like, yeah, forget it. I'm avoiding relationships altogether. So you have that type. And also I get a lot of people that fall into that who are in their 30s and on some level they want to get married and have kids, but they can't even get past a first date. And that's usually because what they do is they are looking for the perfect partner. They will meet somebody and they might get excited, but then fear comes in and that's where the anxiety comes in that they may have chosen wrong or they might choose wrong. And so they are afraid of that happening. 
and they usually retreat, um, maybe temporarily, sometimes permanently. And so they're always in this place of feeling this fear of settling. And so what happened, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, everybody's experienced this, right? Where you start off, you think, oh my God, this is great. And then they disappear. And you're like, okay, where did this person go? I thought everything was great. But another aspect of that is avoidance tend to feel responsible for the other person before it would be appropriate. Like you're not responsible for another person anyways, but before it would even be appropriate to be that deep into a relationship that you would have those kind of fears come up, but those come up pretty quickly, like on the first date, second date. You have people who, oh my gosh, I've got to be responsible for how they feel because, you know, if I disappoint them or I upset them, I'm not good enough for them, it's going to show. And so you have that whole imposter syndrome that happens more with people who are either anxious, avoidant, or avoidant. I feel like you just described like my entire dating life in that, <laughs> like before my current mm -hmm. partner, like I... Yeah, it was like as soon as someone started showing interest in me, I was like, whoa, buddy, like that's a lot, you know, even though I would might have been completely infatuated with them before they showed interest. Of course. Oh, yeah, because there's OK, so there's a psychological little thing that happens, and that is so we all like or love ourselves to a certain degree. So I'll use a percentage. So, so let's say you like yourself 50 percent. OK, you're not 100 mm percent -hmm. a fan of yourself. So when someone comes along that likes you, loves you 70%, you feel like there's something wrong with them. Like, ew, what is wrong with you? Why do you <laughs> like me so much? You know, what is your problem? Like, we think there is something defective with them, but we're not because, looking at our own lack. Because mm, it's like you think something's defective with you. It's mm -hmm. like if they like me and I'm not perfect, then what's wrong with them? Yep, exactly. That's exactly Oof. what happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's rough. So, mm -hmm. okay. So earlier you talked about like this other book was kind of like if you're anxious avoidant, then you have to be in a relationship with someone who's secure attachment or you're screwed. Um, <laughs> what what yep. happens when an anxious, an anxious and an avoidant get together? You know, how do we heal? Can that work? And if it can work, what do we do? Okay, so a couple things. One, and if you're anxious avoidant, like you are a combination of the two things I just, you know, those two styles I just mentioned. And finding a secure partner isn't the answer for anybody, by the way. And what I mean by that is until you're a secure partner, you're not going to be interested in a secure partner. And a secure partner isn't going to be interested in you. They are not into drama. They're not into chasing you. They're not into doing things that would be over and above because they don't feel like they need to go around convincing people to be with them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to, um, you know, the, the book. So to become, let's say, more securely attached with yourself, because that is the answer, obviously, to insecure attachment, whether you're anxious or you're an avoidant or you're both. And for most, it is really to be able to withstand the anxiety. 
What I mean by that is we often react to the anxiety because we have stories in our heads that match the anxiety. Oh, this is why I'm anxious, right? We're always, when you feel anxious, most people are trying to pin it on something. Okay, I must feel anxious because of this or because of that. And if you're in some kind of a dysfunctional relationship or dating situation, you're probably looking at the other person as the problem. And instead, you know, it's you've got to look within. And to look within means, first of all, to be able to handle your own anxiety without acting out, without reacting to the story and then acting outside of you. Um, Yeah. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of courage to do because most of us try to distract ourselves or put other people in charge of putting a Band-Aid on, an emotional Band-Aid. And that doesn't work for a permanent solution. It's a temporary one that can give you temporary relief. Um, But one of the things that I always tell people who have any attachment issues is be in reality. Like stop the fantasy, stop the maybe one day, because all that does is it just keeps you stuck and in pain instead of dealing with the real I would say the real feelings of disappointment because, hey, maybe this isn't what you want and building up a story about riding off into the sunset together when you have somebody who doesn't contact you for three days and said they'd call you tomorrow kind of thing, Um, you know, where you're trying to piece something together that's really painful and it's to deal with the pain and the why. And the why is on a deeper level. It's your motivation. It's why am I motivated? And again, anything I say is not to beat you up. It's So that you go, okay, can I be curious about myself? Why am I motivated to, let's say, be in a situation like this? And it can go back to childhood because it does. But I mean, you know, somebody might go, okay, it's from when I was a kid and this happened and blah, blah, blah. But more so it's what is it feeding? You know, what is this giving to me? What is the benefit? Because there's a benefit. We don't do things. And people want to argue this because. I guess um, most of us think that we're just self-sabotaging our whole lives on purpose, but our brain doesn't actually work that way. Our brain's trying to protect us. The the subconscious, the lizard brain, that's the oldest part of our brain. It is trying to protect you and it just seems like you're sabotaging yourself. But in truth, it's just trying to keep you to the same patterns of behavior that are familiar because that's what's kept you alive. Today's episode is brought to you by LMNT. LMNT is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing that you don't. That means lots of salt, no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligram sodium, 200 milligram potassium, 60 milligram magnesium, with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Element T is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. So when you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium, and you can lose up to 7 grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps or fatigue. Now, I'm personally a big fan of the watermelon salt flavor. I like to, like, I know we're talking about working out, but for me, I tend to drink my electrolyte drinks the morning after I 
drink y'all I am in 30s I cannot drink alcohol anymore without waking up in deep need of some replenishment and part of my routine in the morning of just feeling better after a night out is an electrolyte drink currently that is definitely elementy it's not too sugary and sweet where it feels like it's kind of like hurting my teeth like I'm drinking like a soda or something it's not like that at all it is just super hydrating and it tastes so good if you're not really wanting all of that sugar and all of that junk this is so so good y'all and again my favorite is the watermelon salt element tea is used by everyone from nba nfl and nhl players olympic athletes navy seals to everyday moms exercise enthusiasts and people like me who need to rehydrate after a night out element tea is so sure you will love their product and come back for more they are offering you a free element tea sample pack that's eight single serving packets for free just cover the cost of shipping which is like five dollars for u.s customers and get yours at drinkelementtea.com slash egram. Now, this deal is on, available on their regular website. You have to go to drinklmnt.com slash egram. We'll link that in the comments in the show notes for you so you can get that really easily. LMNT also offers a no questions asked refund. So you try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, Share it with a salty friend. We'll give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Man, I keep thinking about you talking about in the beginning where you were saying like you're with this partner and you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm the dysfunction in the situation. And it reminds me of how one of my friends, Amy Young, she likes to talk about how like we all like to say that people are toxic. We like to be like, oh, you're the, this person was toxic. That person was toxic. We like throw that word around, but mm-hmm. like, you know, and we're all the main characters of our own story, right? Like I'm the main character. So like, I can't be the toxic one because like, <laughs> it, this is about me, you know, I'm the main character, mm-hmm. but it's like, sometimes we're the toxic one. Like, uh-huh. sometimes, not, and toxic is a really strong word, but like, sometimes we, it's, it's, all we can like what I hear you saying is like we can control ourselves we have to heal ourselves and it's not really about the other person right is that accurate mm -hmm. yeah that's totally accurate because the thing is you have no control over another person no control and imagine if you have no control over someone that means they're not going to be filling you up all the time they're worried and concerned about themselves And it's not something that human beings are equipped to do, which is to fill each other up. Um, When you're healthy, you're filling yourself up and your partner is coming along and they're filling themselves up. And you you both then imagine have gas in your tank and the gas is love. And so you're able to share that because otherwise you have an empty tank. You're an empty vessel. So you have nothing to share and you're wanting to have somebody contribute and and the thing is, is that you never really feel love. You feel attachment when you're in that situation because attachment has intensity to it. Love is not intense. Love is just love. Okay. That's a completely novel idea to me. The idea of like separating that language of like, f- am I feeling love and giving love or am I experiencing attachment? Like that's mm-hmm. game changing. 
Because mm-hmm. yeah, so like that chemical feeling of like I want to feel close is very different than like an act of giving pure love. Right. It is. And, you know, and love can draw you together, but there's not an intensity. There's not a neediness. There's not a solve this for me, you know, make this better for me. There's just not. And it's interesting. I mean, I'm in a, I'm married for the second time and in this relationship, it's a very healthy relationship. And I would absolutely say that if I hadn't done this work, I would probably not have gone out with my husband for very long. And I probably would have just been like, yeah, I'm not doing this. And all because of how I felt about myself, because for me, I was, as I said, anxious avoidant. So a lot of the time I would be avoidant when I was single. And so I would not feel feelings because a lot of the times you could just do all sorts of things. I can go to the gym. I can go out with my friends. I can, you know, you've got a whole list of things you can do. And so when you meet somebody that can open up all of the fears you have, all of the things that you now are feeling. And if you have attachment issues, it opens up that intense feeling of a fairy tale, like a movie ending. And that's not how real love actually is. Now, can that turn in? I know you asked. So yes, people that are you know, let's say there's an anxious and an avoidant that are going out. Can that change? It can change, but not because I'm trying to change you or you're trying to change me. It can change based on, let's say one partner decides, you know what? I want to have a good sense of well-being. I want to emotionally feel good. So they can go out there and, you know, do some work on themselves. And I shouldn't even say work. I don't like to make us sound like we're projects because we're not. Um, I would say gaining awareness and shifting and changing patterns and feeling more in control emotionally, you know, develop your, developing your emotional intelligence. That can change the relationship you have with the other person. Like I have two coaches that work for me and both of them, when I was coaching one, she was anxiously attached to this guy and the other one, the same thing. And one of them, uh, the first one, they're now married. And the second one, they now have a healthy relationship. So they changed and it changed their dynamic with their partner. But here's the key though. They didn't try to change to accommodate the relationship. They wanted to change because they didn't like how they felt. That's Mm -hmm. why. I love that. So often the questions that I get about the Enneagram are like, how do I get my type one husband to do what I want him to do? Um, Or how do I get my Mm -hmm. type, you know, whatever partner to love me the way I want them to love me or do the things I want them to do around the house? And it's like, it kind of all goes back to what you can control is yourself and like, how can you, how can you work on your side of the street and keep that clean because so often we're so focused on like, if they would just do this, then I would be happy. If they Mm -hmm. would just act this one specific way or communicate this one specific way, then I would feel better. And what I'm hearing is so much more like, well, what's within your circle of control? What can you actually manage? Like what, what can you actually control? Right. And that Mm. is always, you know, a wake up call because most people, if they were to really look at it, yeah, I don't really have control, but what they do, and this is, 
A lot of it is unconscious, but a lot of times we stay in certain patterns of behavior because we think we are controlling on some level. And what that means is I will show up a certain way because I expect a certain reaction from the other person. And if I change how I am, I lose control, even though you really don't have control. But you feel like you could lose that reaction. And so what happens is, let's say you do that, okay? And then you feel like, oh my God, you're starting to get anxious. You're starting to feel like, oh my God, I don't have any control. Well, you didn't have control to begin with because now they're reacting to you differently, but not in the way in your fantasy that you have that you want them to. So, you know, it's, and, and it's not so simple because we have all these complicated stories about that, like thinking that we have control because it's always worked this way. I know if I do A, then the other person's going to do B. But if I don't do A and I do something else, they might do something else too. And I'm afraid of that. So I'm going to just stay here feeling crappy and not being happy, but at least I have the familiar. And that way you're stuck. And it's like in some ways that familiar, it's like scratches an itch. It's like, I know what this is. I know how to handle this. And that even though it's it doesn't feel good, it does. It feels comforting in, a, in like a way that doesn't – it's not helpful. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's like I know how to get a hit almost. Yeah, it is. It's like a drug. It really is. You feel like you're on drugs. I used to. I mean, I've been in all these places, so I can completely speak to that. And – It was probably one of the biggest things I've ever overcome in my life. I would absolutely say that. How did you, like, where did you start? So for people who are at home who are like, okay, I'm definitely one of these or a combination of these, but like, where do I begin? Kind of what were your first steps on the journey? Well, I was, I'm an avid reader. Like I'm a bookaholic. Okay. So like I was one of those kids that would always read things under her covers and (laughs) I was always, you know, reading, but it wasn't obviously self-help as a small child, but I, um, as an adult, I would read books and what happened was I hit a wall, meaning you can only intellectually fill yourself up with so much information, but if you're not willing to take any kind of action or feel your feelings, you're not going to get very far. You're just going to kind of stay in a repetitive cycle because the end result is this, your feelings have to matter to you, not to anybody else, but to you. And that's how you develop boundaries. That's how you develop as a human being, because when your feelings start to matter, then you make different choices because you're not motivated by the same things that you were motivated by about previously. And I learned this part of it was by doing like I had this insecurely attached relationship and I started to do things differently and I went through all sorts of panic attacks and I mean, you name it. And I started learning about myself and I started growing and I started releasing a lot of the pain that I held inside of me because when I'm saying your feelings matter, my feelings never mattered. And since my feelings didn't matter, and this is so many people that I talk to, I can act a certain way outside of me. Like I said, I want to keep connected to you because if you go, then you're going to abandon me and I don't like that feeling. Okay. So, right. So we're more afraid of that than we are of honoring our feelings to 
say, oh, I have these feelings. Maybe I should take actions about my feelings where you're not blaming other people. You're not making them responsible, but you're doing things to take care of yourself. And that is a hard shift when you are attached and you haven't cared about your feelings because, hey, when you're a kid, who cares about your feelings? For most of us, we grew up in households where our parents didn't care about our feelings in the way of, um, you know, if you're crying, you need to stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. You know, like there's all these things, these messages, right, that made it seem inappropriate to have feelings. And so as adults, we still are looking for somebody to approve of our feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, it was the Enneagram for me that was like, because I, I, so I lead with seven and kind of our focus is like, I want to feel good and feeling good is the goal at all times. And so in relationship often, I wouldn't feel good um, because, you know, relationships don't always make you feel good. That's not their main job. But I would think of relationships as like the the object the object of this relationship is to make me feel good all the time. So when it doesn't make me feel good, then I'm I should back out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really needed to do was just breathe for a second and just be like, I feel a little sad, <laughs> and right. maybe in a minute I'll feel happy again. But I. I was so uncomfortable with just feeling sad for a moment that I thought I needed to uplift my whole life. Right. And that's the thing about, I think, where people get into working on themselves and putting themselves under a microscope. It's really not about working on yourself in that way. And Mm -hmm. it's really about allowing yourself to be and not, the other thing is, you don't have to get somewhere to have healthy You just have to be so aware of what you're doing to not be healthy. Okay. Let's talk more about that. Okay. What does that mean? So can we we expand on that a little bit? Sure. So what that means is you have to know, again, your motivation for why you make the choices you do. All right. And so you have to have awareness. Well, pay attention today. Pay attention to what feelings of motivation are driving you and the story you have in your head. Most of us carry around a huge fiction book in our heads where the only reality is in our heads. That is not really reality. It's like, hey, I live in my imagination. Um, And that's because, again, we're raised with stories, our conditioning, society, all these things have played into what our perception is and our perception is skewed. And so when you become aware of these things, like, wow, why am I looking at this this way? Why do I have to have this? And then you have to do a deep dive into your feelings to know because your feelings give you clues to what your motivation is. And the more you connect to that and allow yourself to connect to that rather than distracting yourself or just staying stuck in these stories, you become more aware. And that means, let's say you go on a date with somebody, you can have an awareness. Wow, look at me. I am just trying to get a second date with somebody that I don't really connect with wonder why I do that. You know, maybe because you need that validation, right? You start to be aware of these things. Then you have a choice in the moment. Do I want to do what I always do or do I want to do something different? Am I prepared to, you know, feel maybe a little anxious in doing something different, a little scared? But here's the deal. When you start to do things differently for the purpose of taking care of yourself, you feel amazing after. Even if it's like kind of crunchy and you're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to get the result I want. 
but you may not know why you want the result. A lot of times we want the result because we want validation, but maybe you're able to step away from that and go, I'm doing this for me. And so then when you look back, you're like, I had no other choice but to be me, to be true to myself in what I said or what I did. And that's when you start to develop real confidence and real empowerment. Mm. So I hear you saying, like, let's start first with noticing, like paying attention. What are my patterns? And as we start to recognize it, we can kind of back, the behavior can start to shift from that observation. Right. Yes. Because, yeah, your awareness is a big part of it. It really is. Because if you're not aware, you can't change it. Is there anything lingering for you that you're like, I want to get this, I want to get this said, I want to make sure this gets heard before we move into rapid fire questions? Um, the only thing I would say, I was going to mention this earlier, and this is not mm-hmm. a plug to sell my book, but one of the reasons I wrote Overcoming Insecure Attachment was I wanted people to have a how-to guide because a lot of times you read a self-help book and it doesn't give you the how-to. It just says, this is what you you need to get over here. Like you need to date a securely attached person. And here you are, let's say anxiously attached. And you're like, oh my God, that feels so impossible. How am I going to do that? So my purpose was to write something that would tell people how to. So these are the mm. steps you need to take. Like what I'm talking about today, I put it all in there so that people can take that and go, you know what? I'm changing my life by doing the things that this book says to do. And it's broken down that way on purpose because I wish that when I was stuck in it, that I could find something like that. That was my mm-hmm. whole goal. I love that. I love when a book tells me like some practical things that I can do to actually start some growth and start some shifts. Yes. Yes, mm. definitely. I love that too. And I don't really at this point, you know, I – I read other books. I mean, I don't read books on insecure attachment anymore because uh, that's not my thing because I've, you know, I'm not searching for an answer for that. And mm-hmm. actually what you tend to find is that as you grow your well-being, you look for different, you know, you look at different things. I mean, it's really weird. Like for years, I was always like, oh my God, relationship, relationship. Like everything I looked at, everything had to be about relationships. It's like, I wouldn't even buy a relationship book if it walked in and said, you need to buy me because I'm not learning to be a better partner by reading the book anymore. I'm learning Mm -hmm. to be a better partner because of the actions and experiences I have. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for rapid fire? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, The first book that comes to mind. The first book that comes to mind. I don't know why. Pride and Prejudice. Don't know why, but I mean, I read it years ago. (laughs) I love it. You're true to the assignment and I respect that. Um, A favorite song. A favorite song. Um, Okay. Okay. I don't know why this came either. Do, Re, Mi. I don't know why. (laughs) I love this so much. Um, Something you wish people knew about you. Um, that I'm really quiet actually in my personal life. Mm. A dream day. What are you doing? A dream day would be hanging out with my husband and going wine tasting and enjoying it at a relaxing pace and just, you know, just enjoying the whole atmosphere. I would love that. Mm. Your final meal. What are you eating? Oh my goodness. Um, 
what am I going to eat? I don't know. You know what? It could be sushi um, or it could be, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think like, what doesn't give me indigestion? Um, so it's your <laughs> final meal. I guess so. I mean, right? They so, really don't have to deal with it. <laughs> that's that's true. Perhaps Mexican food, uh, steak and potato. You know what? I like a lot of different things. So yeah, I guess that would probably cover that. Mm-hmm. And food for thought, something that you want people to leave just kind of thinking about today. So here's the thing. You are okay as you are. And the more that you allow yourself to treat yourself like you're okay, you do become more okay. And it's just to remember, it's, there's no magic bullet. It really is about what you're willing to do for yourself that's going to change your life. So good. You are okay as you are. And so how? let's talk a little bit more about this book. So mm-hmm. your book is called Insecure, The Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoidant Attachment Styles and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships. Who is this for? If someone's listening and they're like, is this for me? Is this not for me? Who do you want to grab this book? Um, so basically what I'm looking at, you know, when I say that is when I put the book out there, um, it had a different title and my publisher changed the title. So what the original title is, and this is when you asked who it's for. So it was called Deal With It. We Are All Effed Up, Eight Ways to Happiness, No Matter what the F is going on. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I wrote the first, the, the first edition of, you know, being able to, and I, cause I used to say, deal with it to my clients, deal with it. We're all screwed up because they would think they were the only screwed up ones. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. everybody is, it's okay, but you want to be happy and, <laughs> you know, and screwed up. And that's really the thing. And it's, and it's screwed up is subjective anyways, but It's really for anybody who feels insecure about where they are in their life. You know, if you have imposter syndrome, if you have, you know, a relationship that you feel horrible in, you know, where you wake up every day and you have anxiety, Um, for those of you who cannot seem to get into a relationship, it's a great book, Um, you know, and for people who basically don't know why they have problems in certain areas of their lives, you know, that they're recurring issues the ones that just keep coming up and you're like, oh my God, why does this keep happening? It's for you too. Mm, Love it. And y'all, we will link everything down below. We'll link you straight to the book, to all of Tracy, all the places you can get in touch with Tracy will be in the show notes. So it'll be nice and easy for you to, to check her out. Um, Thank you so much, Tracy, for this conversation today. I just absolutely love talking about it. I could talk to you about it forever. Awesome. I have really enjoyed talking to you too. And I love talking about this stuff as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.